You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Encoder, and you are good. Hey, welcome to Tales from the Bar Side, everybody. I'm Remy, and this is my co-host, Lauren. Hi. And we've got a guest for you today, but they're not here yet. They're in a meeting, so um, stay <laughs> He'll tuned He'll be here soon, that. I promise. <laughs> yes, he, well, you promised us, so if he shows up, he shows up, and if not, you just got us tonight. Um, exactly. And that's all good. You know, people have lives, and they can't be, you know, you can't just be like at a Zoom meeting at a certain time all the time, even if you want to be. We get that. Life happens. Life happens. Life happens. So, Lauren, tell us about uh, tell us about Big Daddy Games. What's going on? Okay, there? so yeah. um, my boyfriend has decided to open up his first barcade. It is located in East Point, Michigan. It is at uh, like not like between nine and eight mile on Kelly Road. And it's the old it is, Snookers, right? It used to be called Snookers. snookers. Yeah. So if you yeah. know Snookers, it's better now. Like go there now because yeah, it's not it, snookers go there anymore. now. <laughs> it's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, he opened up the entire building. It's you know huge. There's a fuck ton of games. Um, the food is, and I'm. I'm not talking because I'm biased, even though I am biased, but it, it is really good. The food is really good. He has this thing called a night, night burger and it has mashed potatoes on it. Oh, <laughs> I night am night. like all about that. That sounds awesome. It's really good. And they have a lot of really good, um, like liquor selection and beer selection and they have some awesome prices and stuff. So we're very excited to see that happening. And you guys should come out and check it out. Big Daddy Games just opened. It's going to be great. And awesome. Now hey, look Mike who joined Lisa. us. Mike's Hi. here. Hey. <laughs> check one, two. Is this thing on? Yes, sir. <laughs> it is indeed. So, oh, man, man we've, got our, we've gotten our wires crossed like a couple of different weeks here. And we're so f- happy to finally have you on, Mike. It's uh, We're actually live on the air, but that's okay. Go ahead and do your thing. Right. Grab a drink. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I have I a drink. Actually, I just moonwalked out of uh, one of those Zoom meetings that just was going way too long. Yeah, we've all been there. (laughs) It has been, just briefly, it has been a dynamic of the new reality in the, well, in many businesses, but most certainly in the entertainment business is being able to interact with my clients in a meaningful manner in some way to help move their projects forward. Yeah. um, I find that when you get in a group of four or more people, (laughs) then it can become quite tenuous, especially if the leader of the meeting has not put a time limit on the meeting. Yes. So here's to my first adult soda of the evening right here. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Cheers High life, living the high life over there. (laughs) You just got some fine champagne. So yes, it's glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I watch your program occasionally when I'm uh, when I have some time to do so. Awesome, we appreciate the uh, support. So, tell <laughs> our listeners a little bit about yourself. What uh, what kind of stuff do you do? Okay, um, my name is Michael Fotis, and I have been working um, in the entertainment business professionally since 1983. Um, some of the things that I do that are of note, though, as an entrepreneur, I have many projects that I work on. Um, I've been production manager for Paxahow Inc. for over 22 years. I'm responsible for all of the tech in regards to movement 
and all of the projects that the company does. So structure, sound, lighting, video, backline, tech management for artists, et cetera. Those things all fall under my umbrella. I do the same job for the Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation, which this was my fifth year in my capacity as the production manager for the world-renowned Detroit Jazz Festival, which is the largest free jazz festival in the world. Um, I own a company called Audio Rescue Team. I own co-own that with my business partner, uh, Alan Bogle. I'm president of the company, and we are a small audio and production company here in Detroit. We started, I started the company in 2011 and we primarily focus on boutique audio design and install. And we also have a rental department and we handle all production aspects from a small wedding all the way up to an outdoor festival. Like one of the shows that we do is we do all the stages at Dally in the Alley. So everywhere in oh, You're kind of a jack of all trades, though. I feel like you <coughs> kind of do everything. I've known you well, for quite a bit of time. So Yeah, you have. <laughs> and uh, some of the other things, notably, I do own another small business called the Stereo Club. And we have a brick-and-mortar showroom in Livonia. And what we do is we uh, buy, refurbish, and sell vintage audio gear from the cool. 70s and 80s. Cool. Um, Many other things, you know, I started out as a DJ in 1982. My first real DJ job was in a roller rink in Roseville that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it used to be called Macomb Skating Rink. And uh, from there, just a brief history, I um, started my own mobile DJ company, which was called Elite Sound. And that was established in 1984 when I was in high school. And very quickly, I went from having one system in myself to having three systems and a couple other cats working for me doing things. And then I discovered DJing in nightclubs, got my first nightclub uh, DJ job in 1985, DJing in a nightclub, a place on Gratiot. And um, from there, in the late 80s, after graduated from high school, techno discovered me. And yeah. uh, um, my brother, Sam Fotis, who's director of operations at Paxahow, my brother and my current business partner, told me a bunch of lies to get me to put all of my sound <laughs> systems together and do the sound for a warehouse party. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing and a lot of my shit got broke, but um, I knew at that point I was hooked and that's when kind of like the merging happened and I started getting interested in entertainment tech and it's uh, um, at the time I was very successful DJing anytime a new top 40 club opened. Um, I would audition and get the prime spots. Um, my mobile DJ company was ripping. And, uh, but that thing happened, electronic music happened to me. And I want to say more than the music was um, what I can remember and sort of uh, allude to the most is the feeling of being involved in presenting something bigger than myself. You yeah. know, rather than me being up there at a wedding with 500 people packed into a hall and playing the same music. I mean, that had a certain uh, value to it. And walking into a room with a bunch of strangers every weekend and getting every, you know, coercing people to have fun was one thing. But And I played in bands, too, and played live music out loud, but I'd have to uh, out live. But that's the thing that got me interested in doing what we all call production work now is being on a team with people that you are enriched by in some way, 
and using your talents and your resources to put this thing out there, if you will, that then people, a bunch of people you don't know, and some people you do know show up for this thing and they get an experience, experience from it. And in retrospect, that's why I got hooked on doing sound. And uh, fortunately, I had some really awesome mentors that you could say that took me by the hand or by the neck, if you like, or both at times and uh, helped me get into the business. Um, so that's kind of a synopsis. Like, uh, uh, like you said, I do a lot of stuff and it's because I really like things with knobs and wires. And it's uh, especially during these difficult times that we've been through so far since last freaking year, um, having many talents technically has kept me from being um, shut up in this house all the time and going out of my fucking mind. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, so, yeah, yes, you're right, Lauren. I do know how to do a lot of different things. You do. I know that for a fact. And you're very I'm, good at everything you do, which is something that I really admire about you. You're like the, the best in the sound industry, at least as far as I know. And I would recommend you to anybody. So that warms my cold, dark heart, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of in the realm of what y'all talk about a lot is, um, you know, I got into music and sound systems for music for events first. Um, on that side, you know, in, in regards to bars and nightclubs, I was only a DJ, right? Right. During that same time, I learned all the jobs. I started to learn all the jobs when I got involved in working in gentlemen's clubs. And I did co-managing. I DJed MC'd. I took care of the girls. I washed glasses. I helped. I learned all the jobs <laughs> because I wanted to know what it took to do all the jobs. Yeah. And I think that's what led me into having a unique focus and respect for bar and nightclub owners when I started to foray out into wanting to be a respected installer of sound systems and systems in nightclubs and bars. I think that it gave me an edge because I understood what all the moving parts are and the, and the costs both intrinsically and physically to owning a bar or a nightclub. You know, absolutely that's invaluable you know to know yeah. all that stuff to know all the ins and outs and what it takes to to run it to do everything from wash the dishes to you know all the things that you mentioned there that's all just like really great knowledge to have it's too many people own bars that don't know all those little <laughs> parts you know it's what i mean true. yeah it's they're true. like oh no. wouldn't it be wouldn't yeah. it be cool to own a bar? Like, yeah, if you know what you're doing, but if you don't have a fucking clue, like, leave it if to If you've never bartended, bar. you've never DJed, you've <laughs> never managed a place, you've never, like, you don't even hang out at bars. Like, it sounds great to own a yeah. bar. And yeah. and the money is there, for sure. Like, bar owners, the profit margins are, are pretty high. But, you know, if you haven't experienced at least half of the jobs, then you probably shouldn't own a bar. Or yeah. at least get a partner that knows what the fuck they're doing. Somebody. <laughs> Most certainly, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen, I've walked into a situation and meeting a new potential client where right off the rip, I can tell that they have, they have an understanding of everything that they're doing. And then also have an understanding of where I fit in, you know, you know, uh, yeah. so many times 
I've been to a consultation with a potential client that owns either a bar or a restaurant or something in service, if you will, in regards to the venue. And uh, I felt so bad from the, for them after I left the meeting because I'm like, clearly these people are in the weeds and they haven't even swung the front door yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you, know, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> it's, um, you know, the bar business is, and I'm one of the things that I wanted to come on this show and talk about is, is my experiences with how patrons have no idea what it takes on the part of the staff to do their part and give that part of the experience to them. And something that I've never tolerated, even when, and I've traveled all over the world doing production work all over the United States and North America. I've been to, I've been to um, Europe, you know, I I've done all those things. Right. And and something that I've never tolerated when I've been out with my colleagues and most certainly with any associates or whatever is even if a server or a bartender or a bottle service person is having a bad night for people to allow to give them shit. Because yeah. I've been in the back room when a club's on tilt and things going fucking sideways mm-hmm. and seen the efforts to keep it be tra- transparent to the patrons, no matter how fucking bad it gets. And nine times out of 10, the badness isn't caused by the worker bees. It's caused by poor management yeah, and, poor, and poor leadership, you know, and I've seen it so many times that even when I experience a, a, a person serving me, whether it's could be in a restaurant or not, or not even a bar or someplace like that, even if I'm having issue, I always try to think, well, this person doesn't know me from Adam. They're not being a dick to me just because they want to be a dick to me. All right. Like something's going on here that's beyond me. And I'm still going to be polite and leave a nice tip because you never know what's going on. I mean, I used to throw money at Lauren all the time. Just (laughs) right, Lauren. (laughs) It's true. I'm like, here, you look sad. And that's the thing is so many people out there don't understand that they don't get it. They, you know, they're only thinking about themselves. The customer is always right. You know, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. They took too long. Whatever. Not everybody. A lot of people know. Well, you know, the, the service industry has employed so many millions of people over the years that there's, there's a good percentage of Americans that know exactly what the fuck it's like to be behind the bar or waitressing and stuff like that, but still not enough of them. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Mike. Like you, you don't get to treat the staff like shit, no matter what. Now, sometimes people are rude and you can, you can tell when a, when a server is just like not good at their job and is rude about it. You can kind of, there's a, there's a way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, all right. But just being mean or nasty to them is not acceptable. I I think that something that I've noticed that sort of runs parallel in both of our disciplines in the business is, you know, even though I think you're right about how there are a lot of MFers that have been in, that have worked in the service industry at this point, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people that haven't. And the dynamic is the same as this. I'll use this as an example. Since not just this past winter, but since last winter, when I call what I call dark March, yeah, <laughs> everything canceled. Okay, in the beginning of March, right when mm-hmm. everything was totally canceled. Um, even people in my family and not distant relatives, but 
people that are blood related to me and or I know them very uh, closely because of their relationship with my parents or something like that or whatever. I think that a lot of people are what I call not on purpose oblivious. You know what I yeah. mean? Like my shit, most of my shit, meaning my almost a million dollars in rental inventory has been sitting under tarps in my shop since last March. Yeah. yeah. And when, when I can't even count the times that I've had somebody that knows me to, that I've had to help them understand that there's been fucking zero since then. Yeah. Entertainment work. Like Nothing. not, not like a few gigs, like for the, for the, all the way up until summer. Zero gigs. <laughs> zero gigs. Saying, nothing. Zero gigs. Okay. Like, like, and then after summer, my company went from zero income to operating at about eight to 11% comparatively speaking from the same time last year. All right. Mm-hmm. And when you, when I explain it, took have taken a minute to explain it to them. Then the light bulb goes on and then I'm like 14 plus million people worldwide out of motherfucking work. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. 14 million people of multi-billion dollar industry shut down, boiler shut off, parked in the freaking garage. All right. Yeah. yeah. And they, they still have all their bills. They right. still have all their overhead. So yeah. I think the same <laughs> lack of awareness is there with all of people like yourselves, my colleagues like yourselves that work in that part of the service industry. Okay. And I don't think it's out of malice that people are unaware of it, but I think it's just that we're freaking invisible. Okay. Yeah. The same dynamic that when people go to a concert, they walk into a place like uh, little Caesars or wherever they go, an, an arena or, and, and you can't say, techno because a lot of the techno fans understand tech and what it takes to do it right but i'm saying the general public they walk in and it's all there i've had people tell me well isn't that stuff always in the venue isn't it just there all the time and they just turn it on and i think it's the same dynamic with servers and bartenders and waitresses and waiters and what have you is that people in general just assume things they don't get it right oh yeah yeah they just assume things and that doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them uninformed. And I think that a lot of the new, one of the positive things that's come out of this COVID craziness or the Rona, as I like to call it, is, is more awareness. Yes. More yeah, awareness. yeah, that's true. Bringing more things to light. Well, I will say this. I think it was, God, one of the, must've been late nineties late nineties, early two thousands. Maybe I did a load in and a load out for a uh, warped tour one time. That, so mm-hmm. I got to see exactly what goes on behind the scenes and what, what it takes to put together. A yeah, big, you got used like an indentured festival. servant for a couple of days and figured <laughs> it out. And right? I was happy to do it, man. Was happy <laughs> right. to do it. Cause you know, I got to see the shows for free and hang out and, you know, catch a couple glimpses of some famous people and stuff like, you know, so that was cool. Yeah. It's all good. And I think <clears> that that awareness is something that, you know, Lauren can attest to this. You know, I've been, I have been uh, called out on record for being one of the grumpiest old men in techno <laughs> in Detroit. And, and a, some, a lot of that comes from love, but it is true, you know, and one of the things that I've learned to do in this reality that we're living in currently is 
to um, be able to find, look, search for my eloquence a little bit more and trying to explain to these people what the thing really is. Yeah. Anybody that I come in contact with, rather than being like, you're an idiot and you should, <laughs> and because Google, you should be able to figure this shit out. Because right? Google. It, carries, <laughs> it carries more meaning when somebody like yourselves even through doing this program that you guys do or the programming that Georgie and I do from our little studio that we here have here in the, in the house, or when I do go to face-to-face meetings with people in my travels and some of the pro bono work that I do for um, associations here in the city based around music, anytime one of us can reach somebody like that through conversation, it's be- it's that helps the whole industry because that's word of mouth that's word of mouth shit because you can have all this big promo on social media and advertising, whatever. But when a person's heart reaches out and touches another person's heart on a subject that is very meaningful to the person that's explaining it to them, then that person's been touched and that's in there forever. Like the next time they go to a restaurant, they're going to think about that. And the next time they're in a bar ordering a drink, they're going to fucking keep their mask on when they're supposed to, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. That, thank I you. Think, yeah. I think that if more of us had the experiences <laughs> that clearly we've all had, you know, that's one thing, but then taking a moment instead of, and having discourse with somebody. Oh it, man. Right. I, one of my I favorite mean? things to do in the industry was always like when a customer is having a bad time or they're pissed off and you turn them around like, and sometimes it's at me. I, you know, one of the last places I worked before shutdown, these guys came in and they were, they were pissed off. They were stoned and they were hungry and, but they were pissed off because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't jumping as fast as they wanted me to. And I was like, fellas, like it takes time to get your order and you got soup and salad. You got all this stuff that comes with it. And, you know, I tried to, they were being, they were being a little bit rude. And so in turn, I got a little bit rude with them, but then I, I gave myself a second. I went to the kitchen instead of getting right. pissed off. And I'm like, I got to turn this around. Cause I don't want these guys hating me. I don't want them mad at me. And I came out and I apologized to him first, you know? And I was or like, even with cancel I, culture where it's just like, everyone goes, okay, <laughs> immediately start bashing this place yep. because of this one experience that you had. And everyone, all my friends go on and do it too. And it's like, yeah, the, you uh, know, Shit happens. Life happens. People have lives. People have hardships. People have bad days. And, you know, and also just remember that you're not my only customer. I've got other people and other obligations that I have to do too. And I will give you precedence. I will give you, you know, that I will be there for you when you need something. But if you're going to be an asshole to me, like my job isn't to reprimand you and be an asshole back. You right. know, my job in my head is to turn it around and be like, this is why you should be having fun right now. This is why we right. should be having a good time. You yeah. know, that's what you're here like, for. Hey, we got off on the wrong foot. Let's turn this around. My apologies. I'm going to exactly. take blame for, for, for my part in it. And don't worry about your part in it. That's okay. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like this is, you're but the then customer. Sometimes still. though, sometimes though, sometimes it doesn't work. There's a lesson sometimes to be learned. It doesn't. Yeah. Right. You know? well, Luckily and- this time it did. These guys, <laughs> they left happy in full and gave me a tip and everything was great and stuff like that. And hopefully they went back. Um, 
but sometimes we all, we have to pause because like you get so used to doing the same thing over and over and over again and you get frustrated and you get pissed off and you might snap at somebody and it's like, eh, it's not a good look. You gotta, you gotta right. reel it back in every once in a while and like, just kind of chill out. Ooh, are we in your studio now? Whoa. Yeah, wow. we're in the studio so I can have a smoke. Sorry about that. No, no that's don't cool. Be. I love all your vinyl. Yeah. I, uh, this is just a little little wide shot of laundry room studios here this is studio a in the actual laundry room nice <laughs> and uh georgie and i uh decided that february right before everything shut down that we were going to start this project together and uh i do primor primarily retro music programming you know and i don't really do modern music uh, right now, our, we have a show that we do bi-weekly that's called The Decade, and it's um, all music from the 80s, all genres, and it's by listener request. For four Ooh, nice. You know that Saturday. I love me some 80s. On Saturday night. <laughs> and then we have a monthly show on Thursdays that's called the Thursday Night Special, where we do do some uh, dance music programming, but I have a guest. I'll spotlight a, a up-and-coming or favorite DJ from Detroit that comes in and I set up a second rig on the washer and dryer. It's kind of like a kid, you know, <laughs> the camera pointing at the washer and dryer with, cause it's laundry room studios. And then we do uh, on the third Sunday of the month, we do a, a jazz fusion show called jazz vinyl club, the smoothest edition. Nice. And it, and it uh, is a reflective of uh, when we were able to do this, I used to do a monthly of motor city wine where I would play that music. So yeah, I came to see you one time success. and it was amazing. We have a uh, base listenership of about 75 listeners and uh, that, that tune in most of the time and people from all over North America, most certainly. And uh, it just became a way for, again, a way that I could do something, could share this enormous vinyl collection that I have. And then also my knowledge of the music, because the shows are run like a radio program that you might hear like if you were listening to WDET or WRCJ where certain tracks are played and they're either connected by the musicians playing them or by the producers that produce the different records. And then because I have a lot of knowledge of, of it, I try to share some interesting facts or stories about the music with my listeners. And where can people <laughs> hear that? Where can people okay. tune in? So our Twitch channel, we're on Twitch right now and it is, uh, it is photon underscore the underscore destroyer that's my old DJ name. destroyer that's my old dj name but you can go on our facebook page at laundry room studios and our programming is there and um if you sign up with a if you're not on twitch and you sign up for a free twitch handle and follow us there's warnings always or or uh uh, you find out there's notifications, excuse my boomer sensibilities there, there's <laughs> notifications about when we're going to be on the air. And we're always in, thinking about adding new programming soon when we change. I can't let the secret out completely, but we're going to change the way that our viewers, how our viewers link to see us. Um, and we will have an audio only stream as well. That is a part that goes in parallel with it. So it's more like an internet radio station. Nice. And we will have 24 hour uh, day, seven day a week programming that comes out of the spot through playlists that I've built. That's uh, really cool. 
I've got three playlists that are within the genres that I spoke about. Each one of them is up to about 60 hours of music. Oh my God. As I get it to 72, so it only repeats after like three and a half days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to be, whenever you tune in to our internet radio station, if you're listening to the audio only component, it'll have the music with the station bumpers and maybe even some advertisements from our sponsors. And then if you're watching the video component, it'll be the same audio stream, but there'll be um, pictures of our gigs that we've done and some slides that talk about new programming and what have you. And that way there's always good music coming out of here whenever you click on our channel, um, which is very dicey. Adding stuff on when people want to hear something in particular, you know? Yeah. It's, it's all about the whole thing here has been about, programming great programming that's not quote-unquote techno because i have a lot of friends that i've known from the techno business that are also huge connoisseurs of all the same music that i yeah and george my son george which lauren you know my son georgie right yes i do george was the one who came up with the idea he's like dad you have all this great music we have gear i know you have ideas in your mind for what you would like to do about this he's like let's figure this shit out and do it. So, nice. And I was not really all about it at first, but then when I thought about it, you know, I got into DJing because before I met George's mom, when I was really young, I was on a path to a broadcasting career. That was the direction as I wanted to be an on-air broadcaster, you know, mm-hmm. but then I met George's mommy and things changed. So <laughs> right, that happens. <laughs> that that happens. happens. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. Yeah, this is it. And uh, speaking of areas of solace, this has been really nice, especially in that first six months when we were all cooped up, to be able to just come in here and rock out, you know, whenever, which I know a lot of my musician friends and other DJ friends and whatever. And as as you know, sort of turning the corner here, the whole streaming thing has been like a lifeline to people yeah. in the entertainment business. I was just about to bring that up and say you know, that it's like, pretty crazy that you were able to like find something to do to like keep people interacting with your business, keep in, people interacting with you and promoting yourself. And interacting with each other exactly. in some sort of meaningful way. You know, like if you can't just go to TV or hear this place or that place, you can't just get up and go and maybe see a few people you, you like and clean classes with them. You know, or maybe see a few people you don't like and talk shit about them to your friends, right? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, that too. That it's all important. <laughs> so, and that you know, that whole subject of the streaming thing, like when we did, um, obviously, movement didn't happen in 2020, um, but we did have a pivot for Detroit Jazz Festival, which was we took over three floors of the main areas in the Marriott and built three. HD quality sound stages from scratch in three of the big banquet halls in there. And we did uh, basically 14 hours of programming for four days straight with no audience on it. And I had my, and it was carried on DPTV and some of it on, some of it on PBS nationally. And then on our Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation, Facebook and YouTube platforms. And I didn't, I had my reservations about how much interaction we were going to have from the public. We had over a million viewer, viewers. Every oh, my time. God. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've, I've been to a couple of different virtual concerts this year. You know, one of my favorite bands in the world, Clutch, did a couple of virtual uh, 
concerts that I went to. I did the the Bowie celebration where it's all of Bowie's old musicians. I did the I did the movement um, all virtual thing. I was on that the entire four weeks leading up to everything. People find a way to adapt during these times and and do what you can. It's not the same experience, but it's something. And it's like, you know, at this point, we're all just kind of begging for anything to do. (laughs) Guys, like, like, um, I'm not a boomer in the classic sense of the word. And I'm going to (laughs) explain this before I make my point, because my son, George, who I love to death, has a very razor sharp way of explaining things to me. At this yeah. point, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that delivered with some very good snappy wit most of the time. And he's like, yeah, dad, you're a generation Xer, but you have boomer sensibilities. And like, I'm like, explain this to me. And he's like, well, when something that has technology isn't working right, you're going to figure out how to fix it, but you're going to cuss at it and call it a piece of shit the whole time. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right. And that's, you know, George being not a classic millennial, but uh, most certainly from that generation. Um, it helped me understand that like, there are a lot of us that are my, age. I'm going to be 53 soon. Okay. And we grew up, we're in the middle. Yeah. We grew yeah. up with rotary phones and understanding where the place to hang out was, was where all the bikes were piled up mm-hmm. right in front of the place. And from that, we transitioned into the digital era digital telephones, VCRs, compact discs, et cetera. And then the big change was when we all had pagers and mobile phones. We all came in steps. And the technology that I touch changed in steps like that as well. I went from being in front of a console with 72 sliders on it and giant racks of outboard gear to being able to roll in with a thing that fits in the back of my station wagon that does the exactly same job. Right. Yeah. So there's there's this I don't want to say in fear, but even though I'm somebody that works in tech, I always second guess a new idea when it's delivered by tech. Does that make sense? I And I don't do it on purpose. It's just in there. So when this big streaming project, when the director of the of the foundation that supports the festival came to me and said, Michael, this is what we want to do. And this was in January of last year. Okay. And they were like, can we do this? And there are that whole thing of team of people on the board of directors in there have never heard me say that we can't do something. Right. Right. So I just will always remember that phone call because I, I remember going, well, I know I can do it, but how in the fuck am I going to do it? (laughs) (laughs) I will do it and I can, but I'm not sure how. And you know, the success came largely from having a great team, including local 38, our, our, uh, our local stage hands, you know, they supply all the people that set it all up and operate it and whatnot. But the point is before I digress into that, cause I can talk to people about all the tech until their eyes, their eyes roll over. <laughs> um, is the change in perception. That's what we've been talking about tonight so far. Right. Yeah. It's, me sitting there at the end with my colleagues and everybody's high-fiving and whatever and going, my mind's been changed through discourse, whether it be um, like this discourse we're having or discourse that occurs from accomplishing a common task together and realizing right, right. the 
proverbial fruits of your labor, if you will. And again, in being involved in bringing an experience to people, but being taught that it can be done in a new manner and still be meaningful. You know, that's, that's true. And that's what we're really talking about. Because in this country right now, we got a problem with people being able to have discourse between each other. Absolutely. You know and you can say that it was caused by this or caused by that or whatever. We're not going to get into it because everybody in this meeting knows exactly how it was caused. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I think that what has happened is a, a lot of our, uh, our fellows in this country is, you know, we've become so wide apart. We think that what we want is so wide apart, but really when people sit down and talk to each other, yeah. we're not yeah. that the gap isn't as wide. You and know, it right. goes it goes across the whole globe, man. It's yeah. like if people if people would just stop for a second and realize that we're really not that much different when you right. when it comes down to it, the world would be a much better place. And, I 100 percent agree with that. You and know, then it's like, having, and it starts uh, with discourse. And then agreeing that it's okay. Like you know, there are there are things that it's not okay to have a differing opinion on because we all yep. know that that shit ain't fucking right. Yep. Right. Or yep. it is really right. Okay. Yep. yep. So there's no one is allowed to have try to have some sort of bullshit discussion with me about, well, you know, we have to agree to disagree. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, that'd be a big fat. No. Yeah. But, yes. but on most issues in regards to human and civil rights issues and quality of life issues and um, basically what's best for everybody, I think that a lot of people are a lot closer than they think they are to others. And the rest is opinion, which is fine, you know, because everybody has beliefs, you know, and I think that the powers that be that want to divide us have dialed in on that ether that is people's beliefs. And if you've done any reading about how much bullshit most of our beliefs are, yeah, then you understand why they (laughs) focused, focused, you know, razor sharp focused in on that shit. And that's how we've become all divided because they figured that out. Cause it makes it easier to control. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Michael, you ever think about going into politics? (laughs) Civics wise, I'm not qualified. Okay. You know, I most certainly have always had somebody else who wasn't qualified and made it. (laughs) Civics wise, and you know what we mean by civics, obviously, I'm not very well qualified, you know, in in regards to the systems by which our three branches of government run and the Constitution itself and the Bill of Rights and all that. I I most certainly would have to know that way more deeply for me to respect myself as a potential politician because I feel many of them don't. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, the other thing, (laughs) so funny that you asked me that. (laughs) <laughs> um, the other thing is, 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 um, you know, when I, when, when I was in my formative years going through high school and any of the formal education that I had, I really was so focused on science and mathematics because that's what interested me and social studies and geography and, and civics and those things were something that I only did the minimum in because it wasn't really what, what, what I was interested in, you know, and I really feel that someone that's going to represent all of us. Yes, they need to have a grasp on basically the fact that no matter what your skin color is or who you want to marry or who you want to bang or whatever, or whatever has no bearing on you being treated the same as the person next to you. Okay. Yep. Yep. You know, but to be a successful politician in the current, to be able to take those ideas and really help people, 
Yeah. You really need to be good at all the other shit. And I'm a dummy when it comes to all that. <laughs> it's stuff. true. Like, it's I, true. I, I agree not, with you. You know, like <clears throat> people that get up there and some of the new leaders that we have installed now that have both is really awesome, you know, and I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to get into politics too much, but yeah, no, we don't that, have to. You know, I think that also you have to have a lot of time. Like you have to be willing for that part. You have to be willing for that to be your career. Okay? Yeah. Because when, you know, it is service, you're stepping into anytime I'd be, you know, I, uh, I am a 33 to 33rd degree uh, Mason. I am. A, uh, I've gone through the three degrees in the blue lodge. I'm 32nd degree in the Scottish, right? When I was younger, I was involved in being a, in a leadership position in some of those things. I would be, belong to youth organizations where I was president of the organization. I sit on the board of directors of two nonprofits right now. And so I have an understanding of if you're going to ask people to put you in a leadership role, you need to understand that if they put their confidence in you, then that needs to become a priority in your life. Yep. Like, yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's so important, you know, just taking my career in the entertainment business as, as a, as a, a lesson in that or, a, or an example in that discussion, you know, when, when I became, when I, when my company started to grow to the point where I have other people depending on me for their livelihood in my company. Okay. Basically, yeah. My decisions, like it's my job to go out there and win. So everybody can move up. That's the way that I always looked at it. Right. That takes commitment. And to step into that position, you have to, in order to reap the benefits of that position, which are the first to me, the joy that that brings and, and getting those successes. Right. The second part of that, is making money and being able to do your passion and make a living from it, which is a huge blessing in life. It's a huge fortunality in life. But with that comes the responsibility of your people that work for you and on your behalf, having the comfort that you're going to go out and win for them and represent them in a positive and effective manner. Now on the humorous side, (laughs) part of it, you know, Whenever anybody runs for public office, no, how, no matter how good they are, either your opponent or the media is immediately looking for the dirt. Absolutely. Because and the, and dirt, the dirt makes people click on ads and sells newspapers. <laughs> people love a good, dirty right. story. And you let know, me tell Michael, you. I, I don't I, think we could have wrapped up our show any yeah, better. Yeah, so sorry to we, cut you off. We are, right. No, we've run out of time, but I think like you put a little bow on it there at the end. That was just <laughs> like absolutely perfect. Well, that's good. We Let's all... not get into the dirt. <laughs> exactly. We we ran all over the place tonight, but man, I tell you, it was a pleasure to meet you this evening, and we're going to have absolutely. you back on again sometime because we got more hey, stuff to talk about. I, really I need to pick your brain about you. all kinds of things. I really appreciate um, you having me. And uh, anytime you guys want to want me to come on since we busted. Out absolutely. All, yeah. all right. Fantastic. Absolutely. We're going to, we're going to post on, uh, we're going to post all of your stuff, where to find your shows uh, on our page. And so if people miss that in the middle of the show, you can go back and listen to the show over again, but we'll post it on our socials. So we'll hopefully get your 75 up to at least 80 or 85. <laughs> you know That's what awesome. I mean? I, I know you got me as a fan. Uh, uh, Lauren, totally. tell, tell well, everybody where they can, can reach us real quick, uh, Lauren, before we get on out of here. Okay. If you have a tale that you want to tell us about your experience working in the service industry or just hanging out in bars, we don't give a fuck. Send us a message 
over at Farside Tales, T-A-L-E-S, because people ask about that for some reason, farsidetales at gmail.com. Send us an email. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to read them. We might read them on We're going to talk about them. Michael, thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you, sir. Thank you so much, Mike. See ya. Bye, everybody. Take care. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Good, Good stuff.